for joining us for our second session in August of our Building Your Business Virtual Coffee Breaks. Today, we're super excited to have Torsine on the line with us to discuss the dramatic reinvention of CRE funding. Tor and I um, had a conversation, what feels like an eternity ago, about different ways that you can fund commercial real estate. And Tor is the CEO and co-founder of CrowdStreet, one of the great resources that can help us do that. I love these types of conversations and welcome Tor because it really helps us think about how we could define our business differently, how we could change the conversation with our clients and also helps us maintain that relationship with our clients. So before I hand it over to you, Tor, Dan, any words that you would like to say? Yes, certainly. So welcome, Tor. Great to have you uh, with Cobalt Banker Commercial today. Uh, you know, as I look back at the whole crowdsource funding, I still in my mind think it's like something that just started. But interesting, when I spoke with you, I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's early in the 2010s, I think the idea started. So it really isn't a, something new, but it certainly has gained traction. And uh, I think you educated me when we chatted, just sort of like how large it's really gone. So gotten rather. So really look forward to uh, to talking with you and, and you know sharing your insights both about CrowdStreet and about the whole crowdsource funding uh, segment of commercial real estate and what you think uh, is the outlook for the future as well as you know sharing if there's you know products uh, how you acquire products because obviously you raise funds and acquire assets so you know all sides of it we're interested in. So Tor over to you. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Christina, for having me today. I look forward to this. I've, I've just put together a few slides and then really want to open it up for a dialogue as, uh, as, and Q&A. Um, so I thought I'd just give a quick intro about CrowdStreet and really talk about you know, how we're re trying to reinvent commercial real estate industry from an investment perspective and then jump really into how we source deals, which I think is going to be a, a, a hearty topic here uh, for conversations and then a couple of results that we're seeing. You know, when we started, Darren and I started CrowdStreet, my, my co-founder back in 2013, and it was really coming out of the Great Recession where we saw this opportunity and the JOBS Act was passed, which changed the regulatory environment and specifically Title II of the JOBS Act in September of 13, which allowed a Reg D 506C for those that have done private placements. We know that you're not really allowed to advertise. You're not allowed to generally solicit. And that that legislation was really paramount because it allowed any issuer, any sponsor to basically advertise and solicit to accredited investors. And it added a few extra hoops around how to verify accredited status, but it's really opened that door to basically use the internet because why use the internet if you can't generally advertise? And so we, we set out on a mission to really deliver this best online real estate investing experience and make it easier for accredited investors across our country to achieve this smarter diversification and have an ability to invest directly into commercial real estate. Um, it's been quite a ride, as you mentioned, Dan. It feels like uh, just yesterday, but it's really, it's, it's been six plus years now. Um, and when we look at, you know, how we are moving, uh, you know, real direct real estate investing into the mainstream, it's around assets, access, and adoption. When we think of the assets, right, and, and everybody on the call here knows this, there's about $500 billion of transaction volume every year in, in the U.S. I mean, it's the third largest asset class in our country behind stocks and bonds. But it's also been an industry that's been very locked. It's been very in, in done in a very offline 
uh, who you know type of way. It's, it's um, you know, kind of a select few have participated. In the online syndication model, we're six years in and, and we're barely scratching the surface. You know, it's, it's been about two and a half billion dollars, I think last year was done in the online way. So we have a long way to go. I don't think online will ever be the lion's share of the industry, but just like e-commerce started in the late 90s, and now e-commerce could be 20, 25% of the of total retail sales, which is billions of dollars. Um, when we think about the access side of things, you know, uh, and I think everybody's aware of this, the institutional investors traditionally play in the, the, the primary markets, in the large kind of market project cap deals. Family offices and ultra high net worth investors, that country club money tends to play in the mid-market, right? In those deals that are 30 to $100 million. But there's $500 billion of annual investment potential that's really available to the rest of the accredited investors. And again, there's about 12 million accredited investors that really have not had that direct access to invest in commercial real estate. And they want it. They know that it needs to be a part of their portfolio. Since we launched our marketplace in April of 2014, the adoption has been significant. And I'd say it's really the last two years that we've seen the growth. What we had to do at CrowdStreet was starting in 14 to really the middle of 16, Darren and I and the small team that we had here at CrowdStreet initially, were out talking to the real estate developers and operators because we realized if we can't get them to come online and, and recognize the value of an online syndication channel, it doesn't matter if we go get a lot of investors. So really those first two to three years were spent finding great sponsors that were willing to kind of innovate, willing to try out this online channel. And over the last two years, we've now seen Mega, ma many large sponsors adopting the online syndication channel and realizing it they don't, doesn't need to take over their existing way of raising capital. It's really an additional channel for them to raise capital. Might not be ready right for every deal, but we've now just exceeded over a billion dollars of capital that's been raised on our marketplace since inception, and half of that came in 2019. So it's really it's exciting because we're bringing together these two kind of disconnected worlds the traditional CRE world with this online marketplace model. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes many years for this adoption to occur. When we started CrowdStreet, we had an investment thesis. It was the right size deals. It was the overlooked markets and growth locations. And it was upside opportunity. What we mean by right size deals is we felt that the sweet spot would be kind of those deals in that 15 to 50 million range um, because they traditionally had raised capital from private high net worth investors, family offices, and maybe in, in rare occasions, an institutional check. But usually those equity slugs were small enough that they didn't warrant an institutional kind of check. And so these types of sponsors tend to be geographically focused. They're focused in specific asset types. And they, and they have really done well with their investors over the years, but they've always found it hard. How do they grow their investor base? It's usually been through word of mouth. And then we look at what are the markets that, that tend to have you know, kind of outsized returns and good returns. Well, these secondary markets like Austin and Nashville, Denver, uh, Portland, Seattle, Charlotte, um, the list goes on. They're, they have national averages, they have above national averages in terms of job growth and, and population growth. And I think we're going to continue to see that, especially coming out of the pandemic, a, a further kind of move out to secondary markets and realization, especially as, as more uh, jobs are in a virtual environment. And then the upside opportunity, looking for these undervalued properties that have strong upside opportunity. Uh, we do a lot of value add projects on our, on our marketplace. We've even done quite a few opportunistic. And we also do do core plus deals as well. But 
value add tends to be the one the investors are looking for some cash flow, but really an upside potential out of those projects. And so it kind of comes down to if you're running a marketplace, there has to be benefits to both sides, the supply side, the sponsors, they get a modern way to, to raise capital, they can grow their investor base, and then they can use the technology to really manage these investors, because it's not just about raising the capital, it's then how do they manage investors in an online way and CrowdStreet's there for the entire lifetime. For the investors, you know, they're now getting access to deals that they would never be able to see. Right? They, they don't live in the location that the sponsor is, and they're now getting access to invest in those locations. They're getting a digital experience, and they're being able to diversify commercial real estate by asset type, by profile, by geography, and then by sponsor. Many of our early investors on CrowdStreet were the country club money, and they were long in their specific location. They'd invested with maybe a handful of developers in their local region, and they said, hey, I want to get uh, diversification outside of my area. We've got investors all over the country. This is the beautiful thing of an online paradigm is that our investors are all over the country. They're in every state of our country. They're actually concentrated, as you can imagine, in kind of the metro areas where there tends to be a higher wealth. Um, and so obviously, like our biggest states for investors are Texas, New York, Florida, and California. Um, but we do cover the entire, entire country. We also have almost a 70% uh, repeat investor. So after they invest the first time, we find that a repeat investor will invest four times. Their average investment size is right around $50,000. So an average repeat investor on CrowdStreet's portfolio is about $250,000. 20% of our investors are actually have invested over a million dollars and their portfolio is about 1.6 million across 15 deals. So they're investing at about $100,000 a clip. And again, this is the one that these investors love. They're getting geographic diversification. We've got sponsors in 40 different states at this point. We've done over 400 deals on the marketplace. And again, asset type multifamily is, is a strong one at 40 over 40%, but we cover all other asset types except for raw land. So everything from uh, senior housing to uh, industrial, we're seeing obviously a fair amount of good industrial deals recently. Uh, not a lot of retail and hotel deals right now, that's for sure, except uh, we have seen our, uh, some peaks at some distressed deals. And we also do cover all the risk profiles. Value add tends to be the highest, but we do core plus, ground up development, opportunistic, and have, have done uh, not, no core so far. So what is this, you know, kind of the CrowdStreet way of doing it? Well, it all starts with how do we procure deals? What is our capital markets team doing? We have an internal investments team that is obviously reviewing any sponsor and any deals before it can get approved. It goes through an investments committee. And then ultimately, we have an asset performance team to, to track and manage the performance of, of the investments for the lifetime. And then there's the reporting and feedback. So if I just touched upon kind of the deal procurement, which I think is really important here, we work with a lot of capital brokers uh, across the country, and they're obviously interested to know, you know, what's our team structure look like on capital markets? We have seven regional managing directors across the country, from New York to Miami uh, to Chicago, Dallas, uh, Los Angeles, and Portland. Um, and they're you know, covering that territory. They, they tend to come, they come out of the commercial real estate industry. They have local knowledge and experience with sponsors there. And they're really experts in their regions. Um, and if we look at the volume of how do we get to ultimately the number of deals that go on our marketplace, it starts with a lot of prospecting, a lot of emails, a lot of calls. We have a capital markets associate team that is supporting the managing directors. And then we source those deals, which ultimately gets screened by our investments team and then ultimately approved and then launched on the marketplace. 
We did about 112 deals last year on the marketplace. We were on track to do 130 deals this year. I'd say we're probably back down to about 110 uh, given, given the volume constraint. And what does this ultimately mean for investors? Well, they get access to these top tier investor, top tier sponsors like Pearlmark and Geffen and 601 West and Denholtz. And again, these are sponsors that are all over the country. Again, tend to be uh, doing deals in that kind of 15 up to $80 million range. Although we are seeing an interesting phenomenon is that larger size deals that traditionally would go to institutional investors are now recognizing that this could be a really efficient way to raise capital with a little bit better deal terms for the sponsor. So they're actually taking a look at the online syndication channel. And just to kind of um, wrap it up in terms of you know, what we've seen on our marketplace, we've done almost over 460 deals on the marketplace since inception. Uh, 100, 112 of those deals came just last year. We've raised over $1.2 billion. We have over 100,000 registered investors. And we've had uh, 32 deals that have been fully realized with a 23% IRR, 1.5 multiple, and $144 million has been uh, returned to investors through both uh, cash flow distributions as well as obviously the capital gains from the, the fully realized deals. Um, Ian Formigli, who is uh, my chief investment officer, actually, we just recently published a investment thesis. So I won't go through it here, but if you go to our website under our uh, resources section, you'll see the investment thesis. We felt like the timing was right for us to publish this, um, given the uncertainty in the markets and given the, the rapid changes that we're seeing. We're also seeing major publications starting to recognize this. We were recently interviewed by the Wall Street Journal by Peter Grant, who runs the real estate section for the uh, WSJ. And he wrote a really interesting article, which, which highlighted not just CrowdStreet, but other players in the market, recognizing that the time has finally come. Um, and we're all being tested as we go through the pandemic, as we go through the recession of, you know, how do we fare in that type of environment? It's something that Darren and I, when we started CrowdStreet, we said, look, the markets don't always go up. And we know that, that uh, the last six years, we've been in very much an up market. But we recognize when we started CrowdStreet, we were really going to be tested when it came time for a recession. We actually felt that would be a good time for CrowdStreet and for a marketplace because we can pivot across asset type, across risk profile. And so again, we're now, we just launched our uh, opportunistic fund uh, two months ago. We raised over $15 million on our opportunistic fund, and that's already deploying uh, investments into distressed deals that we're seeing. So, you know, our vision is to really reinvent this real estate investing and deliver better financial outcomes for investors. So uh, I know I ran through quite a, quite a bit there. I wanted to make sure to give everybody a, a good feel for, you know, what we've done over the last few years, what we're seeing um, and again, uh, more, more to come from CrowdStreet in the months ahead. So let me, uh, let me pause there. And uh, Dan, Christina, and the team, if you have any questions, I'd, I'd be more than willing to take them. Excellent. Thanks so much, Troy. That was a lot of information and a good catch up. Because as I said, I know aware of this from years past. And it's like, where are you guys at? A billion dollars. That's a ton of money, right? It's like, wow, a lot has happened in that period of time. Um, I mean, I'm happy to start off. I've got, I always have a lot of questions and I listen to presentations just thinking about current situation and future. If you could, you know, just to focus on the investor side for a second. So tell me, I'm just curious. So like what's your average size investment? What is their status? I mean, I know, you know, there was the tick model years ago that didn't potentially particularly end so great. Um, there are obviously private syndication models, you know, as an investor. So what, you know, what is their investment typically? Um, 
what is their status in terms of maybe tax status, you know, what structure is it and so forth, just to give a sense if we were going to, um, you know, advise somebody to go into this uh, just on that side. So I'm looking at the investor side for a second. Yeah, good, good question, Dan. So the, the sponsors structure the deal just the same way they would when they go out to their uh, high net worth investors. They, you know, usually they create a PPM. Uh, they have a, an LLC that's been structured for the deal specific to that real estate deal, whatever org structure they have, but it's usually an LLC, obviously with an operating agreement, subscription agreement. And basically it's those same documents. So CrowdStreet, you know, kind of we look at it as we sit in the middle here, we are not um, creating the entity that the investors invest in. So the investors are investing directly into that sponsor's deal, which is okay. really, you know, when you think of, and again, I talk about the power of the internet, do we need more? kind of middlemen in the middle? No, the internet's supposed to kind of remove those things. And so we play a vital part, but ultimately the investors want to know that they're going directly into that sponsor's deal, that they are an LP into that deal. And that's that's how it's okay. structured. Just the same way they would do it and the sponsors would do it in an offline way, Dan, they do it in this online way. So we do review our legal counsel. We, we have a diligence team. They review their documents for you know, make sure the capital call provisions are standard, make sure that the investor rights are standard. And, and again, these are usually they're passive investors, right? They are, they're LPs in there. Um, they don't, you know, they're not going to take over the asset and sponsors and investors understand that because the minimum investment size that an investor can put in is $25,000. Um, the average investment size across the whole platform is $50,000 per investor. Um, but again, that's why as you could imagine, in the early days, we really had to spend time talking to these sponsors who traditionally their minimum invest, minimum investment was 250000 in their deals, right? Their, their mantra was, hey, I have higher net, higher net worth investors that will put in two hundred dollars or $500,000 checks. And we had to say, hey, come online, lower that by 10x, accept a $25,000 check. And they kind of looked at us like, what? You got to be crazy. But again, using the technology platform, we just had a deal uh, earlier uh, last week that went off and, and raised $20 million uh, across 400 investors, and it did it in five minutes. So the power of, uh, of being able to do that, you know, you could never do that in an offline way. And so we really start, I've got a pretty significant engineering team that has built out the tech platform in the last six years to make it a really efficient fundraising, but also investor management process. Yeah, super, super interesting. So you're really taking that, what I you I think you described as like the country club friends and family way of raising partnership funds and sort of democratized it with technology and brought a lot more in, people into the process. That that makes sense. So Christina, I know some chat questions or other yeah. people wanted to be unmute. So I'll let you, uh, before I go on, I'll let you uh, moderate a couple. Yeah, absolutely. And if you feel like asking a question, please feel free to unmute yourself. Um, and while you gather your thoughts, we had a question that came through the chat can 1031 exchanges participate within the CrowdStreet structure? If so, can if they can participate, please explain the mechanism that works. It's, it's, uh, it, we have actually done probably, I'd say, only three or four 1031 exchange deals or qualified exchange deals on the, the marketplace. Um, and the reason for that is, as we all know, with 1031s, there's timing. Uh, there's size and style and shape, right, that goes into the abil ability to do the exchange. And so from a timing perspective, that becomes really challenging on our marketplace because we have to have the investors who are ready and ability to do an exchange into a deal that can accept it. So we have done them, but I'd say it's really far and few, few between. It's just not, it's just very difficult to do. 
we do have investors on our marketplace that contact us and say, I've got an, I've got, uh, I need to do an exchange. We might not have a live deal. So we actually have a, a group of uh, sponsors who do 1031s. And sometimes we'll just match them up and say, look, we can't help you, but we do want to help you. So we are going to introduce you a few sponsors that we knew, know do 1031 exchanges. Yeah, I think that makes me recollect to an earlier call, Friday call, coffee break call we had with Realize Holdings, which actually does specifically 1031 exchanges. That's exactly what they do. Um, they talked about topping off and things like that. So nice tie together, nice tie back to our former uh, coffee break call. Uh, Christina, any others in chat or should I? Uh, or yeah, maybe we'll anyone to unmute? chat currently. And again, please feel free to chat your questions or unmute yourself. But Dan, I know you're you're peppered with questions. so. Yeah, no, I'm always just thinking about, so how do you, so you have these regional, um, I don't remember your titles, but regional directors that source opportunities and so forth. Um, now they're sourcing them with investors, not necessarily the real estate. Is that one of my understanding, right? They work sure specifically with the sponsors. So they're sponsors, okay. The developers and operators, as well as uh, brokers and capital providers who they're building relationships with in their territories. So if any of our brokers you know, had a, let's say a value add opportunity. I can think of one that just came to market in a town, Texas town, I don't know, two weeks ago. How would they bring that opportunity to 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 CrowdState or to your sponsors to, to consider? Yeah, I mean, I would say what we could do coming out of here, Dan, is I could get you the information of our seven managing directors and kind mm -hmm. of their territories and okay. their information because many times what they are doing is they are building relationships with with capital providers and brokers in their territory mm -hmm. right because um, it goes both ways uh, mm -hmm. you know when, when we see sponsors that need help um, that we obviously outside of the equity raise we, we love to make introductions to fantastic do you see your uh, any shame given the I don't know I won't say just given COVID or pandemic but is your are your sponsors shifting at all between value add to court, any other types? I mean, just, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about property types, you reference hotel and, and retail understandably, but is there a preference or do you, for, do you foresee a preference to changing, um, you know, the, the acquisition nature of the product, I guess I'll call it? Well, we're definitely starting to see the beginning of distressed deals, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's more, more to come on that front uh, in the quarters ahead of us, but we've already seen sponsors who, who have done distressed in the last cycle, um, who are, you know, obviously uh, dusting those expertise off and, and, and picking, you know, select deals, um, which is, is, you know, it's great for investors, right? Because I like to look at the Great Recession and many individual investors never had a chance to to take advantage of those opportunities in low basis, right? Um, the institutional investors traditionally came in and swept all that good stuff up uh, or the select few that had access. So we are seeing a move to, to some distress. Um, you know, select value add deals are still good and we, and we still do some select core plus. So, you know, again, that's, that's the beauty of the marketplace. And we pull, we survey our investors a lot to find out what their appetite is. Um, and you know, they are looking for, they're looking for opportunity, right? They, they recognize that as we go into more of a trough here, um, you know, they're, they are kind of have had their dry powder on the side, kind of waiting and, and ready for it. Right. Nobody knew this is how we would go into the recession, but, um, but people were the investors, I'd say we're ready for this and, and kind of, we've seen it. Uh, we had a unbelievable July, uh, we, we raised, uh, $95 million on our marketplace just in the month of July um, and had two, two of the deals that did over $20 million of equity raise. So um, the investors are, are definitely there. 
Um, it's just, you know, we're actually screening even more intensely the deals to make sure the pro formas and the business plan holds up in a kind of a post-COVID environment. Do brokers earn any commissions in bringing investors to CrowdStreet? Um, for bringing probably more of the sponsors, yes, we do actually. Um, and Dan, what I can do is get you information on our capital, uh, capital broker, capital advisor program, referral program. Right. We do have a commission uh, payment that we, we do make to the, to the referrer uh, of any sponsors that they bring to us. So what we is can it do is usually standardize that. And then, you know, as they bring them to the managing director in their territory, we make sure to tag it in our CRM the, of who the referrer was. Got it. And it's a real estate referral, not a series seven or something, not a securities referral. Is that correct? Yeah, it's okay. just, just hey, you're just referring a, a sponsor to us gotcha. and um, and the rest is kind of up to us, right? And and we, we aren't even, you know, we aren't um, providing a security, right? We're, we're providing right. a platform for them as well. I just know in some other forms of investment, they, they are securities referrals technically. So, yeah. Uh, so good question by Suzanne. So go ahead, Christina. Yeah. So there's two more questions in here. Um, what is the typical hold period? What kind of reserves typically so there aren't surprise calls for additional funds? Yeah. So the average investment, the average term on the deals across the 460 deals we've done is just a little over five years. Um, but, you know, again, we've had certain deals with a 18 month to two year term. We've had other deals with a 10 year term. It really is deal specific, right? The ground up development deals a lot of times could have a two year term, right? They're, they're, they're getting them out of the ground and selling them um, and tur turning that uh, quickly. Um, and so that is, that's the, but, but that's kind of the average about five years on the deals. Um, and then what was the other question, Christina? The, um, the hold period and what type of reserves so there are surprise calls. Yeah, so each sponsor is obviously deal specific in terms of what type of reserves they're putting, you know, uh, from the capital that's raised for the equity portion. Obviously, some can be going towards capital improvements, especially if it's a value add deal. Uh, some is obviously in reserve for unforeseen situations like right now. Um, so it's, it's really deal specific in terms of given the asset type, if it's, you know, a core plus deal versus a completely opportunistic, how much they're going to put in a reserve um, for to ensure that, you know, again, nobody wants to go through a capital call. Um, and so the, the, they do want to have obviously some equity reserves so that they don't have to do that. And, and we're seeing that across our platform right now. We've, we've had very few capital calls uh, during the last four months, which is a good indicator that sponsors, again, number one, we know what sponsors do right away is they suspend distributions, right? So the smart sponsors that say, look, we could be in this a while. And the investors understand that, hey, build up your reserves. I can forego distributions for the next few quarters. Let's make sure that, you know, again, assets and our average leverage, the question might come, you know, what's because we got to make sure you got your debt coverage. Uh, the average leverage on the deals across our marketplace is right around 65%. Um, so we were very cautious, uh, even during the kind of boom times, very few deals would have had like an 80% L LTV. Um, so, you know, 65% is, is the average across the marketplace. Nobody wants to give back keys. Understandable. And Alina, did that answer your question as well? 
Um, can you forecast what activity you expect on Crowd Street at, on Crowded Street over the next 12 months and in what sectors? Development, office, hotel, retail? Yeah, a great, great question. So we're already forecasting this year. Uh, you know, we had uh, great, great expectations of this year as we uh, laid out our plans. And, and January and February, we're actually tracking to being uh, another doubling of what we did last year. So, uh, but those plans got changed pretty dramatically in March. And, and so we're forecasting to actually be about even to where we were last year. We're probably about $500 million of investment activity on our marketplace this year, which is what we did last year, which, which would still be a successful year. Um, and again, our investments and capital markets team pivoted really quickly to looking at the types of deals that made sense for our marketplace. Um, so that's the type of activity we expect to see uh, over the next few months. Um, and the, really, we are seeing uh, some really nice acquisition deal, or, or ground, I should say ground up development deals um, that have a two to three year kind of horizon on them um, in select markets, right? And so, so investors can understand that, that um, a market while, you know, might be in, in a, a hard time right now, won't be like that forever. And, um, and some of those ground up development deals uh, have a nice, uh, nice, nice profile to them. Um, as well as, you know, again, traditionally, we've done about 20% on our marketplace has been ground up development, and the rest was acquisition of, an, of a current asset. So um, we expect actually a little bit more, probably a few more acquisition or ground up development deals than, than we saw in the last uh, couple of years. We saw a lot more value add the last couple of years. What, what drives your geographic um, strategy in terms of you know, where to invest? Do you have any uh, say in that per se? We, we actually do a little bit, Dan, um, you know, myself, Darren, who's my co-founder, who heads capital markets, and Ian, my chief investment officer. I'd say one of the things we follow pretty religiously is, is ULI. We've been ULI members for the last six years. All three of us are on product councils at ULI. We're very, uh, very engaged with both local chapters as well as on a national level. And, and we love the ULI report about the, you know, kind of top markets. So interesting enough, we kind of follow a lot of the, that investment thesis in terms of those secondary markets and the opportunities. You know, Jacksonville, I'll just use as an example, right? I mean, uh, years ago, Jacksonville wasn't even on the map in terms of, of opportunities uh, in that market. And we've already done, you know, two very sizable deals in the Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville Florida market, uh, just as, a, as an example of, of one of the markets. Nashville has been a, another market. We've probably done four or five deals in Nashville uh, so far. Um, so the secondary markets just tend to be our sweet spot. Um, we really like the sponsors that are there because they tend to live in that market, right? They're not just flying into their market. They, are, they, they live and breathe it. They already have investors there. They have a vested interest in making sure that their market is, is, is strong. So where um, are commercial real estate brokers being most successful in the CrowdStreet platform? What is kind of the best role for them within the ecosystem? Yeah, we really do look at as a referral partnership is tends to be the strongest, right? Um, we actually, uh, working with some brokers, did a roundtable in Denver, um, virtual one. Uh, but we just did a roundtable in Denver uh, last week. And um, we had a couple different brokers on there. We had sponsors on there. We even had some investors participate to really spend time talking about what's going on in that local market. And so CrowdStreet facilitated that. Uh, we organized the roundtable. But I think it's really helpful because having the brokers with us there to talk about 
what's happening. We, we have relationships with brokers across the country. Sometimes our investments team, when we're looking at a sponsor and a deal, we'll, we'll call up a broker that they know and ask, you know, more about that market. What do they know about? Have they worked with that sponsor before? Because again, we can't cover the entire country. So we look at it as a kind of a, the, the relationship can go both ways. We love to get referrals from uh, brokers, but we also like to, again, give back and make sure that, you know, how can we share and, and open up more clients to them? Any other questions? I love good and you know, really super interesting. It's it's great, as I said. I mean, I became familiar with this, you know, back in the early 2010s. And wow, it's really it's really interesting to see how uh, it's matured, right? It's matured as a platform. I think when I was talking to Darren many years ago, it was sort of questioning, like, well, anyone go into this? Is this like a weird, you know? And you know, you probably you're smiling because you probably remember that. As I was like, is this really viable? And here you are, 2020, with a really you know raising hundreds of millions of dollars, you know. And uh, very impressive. So uh, congratulations and thanks for sharing your insights. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah what, what I love, you know, music to my ears is when I talk to both sponsors and investors and investors say, hey, thank you so much, CrowdStreet, for, for opening up access and transparency to, to invest in commercial real estate. And the sponsors say, thank you, CrowdStreet, for opening up access to more investors, right? And making it really efficient. Because uh, every time I talk to developers, six years, seven years ago, they said, boy, raising capital, not a fun process. You know, managing investors, not a fun process. So it's been, it's been nice that, that our platform is, is really, is, is making change and, and benefiting both sides. So thank you, Dan, for having me today. I really appreciate it. And yeah. I'll and one last question that came through, just like the Denver Roundtable, would you do local presentations um, to local sponsors and how may they coordinate that? So for example, we have somebody in San Diego asking, Definitely, definitely. And what we would do is we'd coordinate through the managing director for that, uh, that territory um, who would or work with our marketing uh, uh, person to kind of, uh, you know, we kind of package it up and would love to do those. We, um, you know, I think the hardest part of the pandemic right now is not being able to be in territory as much. I, I usually fly around the country and I'm meeting with sponsors. I'm meeting with investors all the time. And, and so is my chief investment officer. And, you know, being grounded and not, not being able to do that is disappointing. But the managing directors are kind of carrying that torch in their territory with the with local uh, partners. So, yeah, I'll get the list Dan, to you of, of all our managing directors, their territory, and then kind of we can talk about the partner program too. Yeah, fan fantastic. It may be a better year than you think. You know, if I think about how high the stock market is, and if people are really looking, you know, you were saying like you you kind of downplayed your expectations, but if you think about how high the stock market is, you know, potential uncertainty just because of the pandemic and an election. You know, people, uh, I'll call them small, but I'll call them just investors might be preferring to put stakes into commercial real estate. And I think CrowdStreet certainly provides a great avenue for that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I invite everybody to register on CrowdStreet and see it for yourself, right? Because I always say, like, if you register, you can see some of these deals and, and see how kind of each deal is presented to investors. And, you know, again, it would be as you see that, you'll say, wow, this is kind of how it was done in the offline way. It just is all right there at everybody's fingertips. So. Thanks again, Dan. You're welcome. Christina. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tor, so much for sharing your insights. We truly appreciate it and um, including your expertise and kind of your opinion on what we should see in the market for the next 12 months. So thank you for that. For everybody else on the call, thank you so much for your wonderful questions. We will have a virtual coffee break in September. So our next one will be September 11th. And this one um, seems to have been a hot topic. I know 
Um, Andrew from Digsy, he posed questions on Twitter and LinkedIn, as well as I've been seeing it through some of, of our other experts is video marketing and how you can really enhance your professionalism with video marketing as we're moving towards a virtual world. Um, so Drew Smith, co-founder and principal of Four Tens Digital, will be joining us on September 11th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. So please go to Commercial University um, for that registration information, as well as other things that are happening in September on our training calendar. We have some really great regional meetings. We have some other um, activities as well. So please check that out. And we look forward to seeing you on our future calls.